Welcome to another episode of To The Bottom Music Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Eric. And today we have a fantastic guest. James Van Osdell is on the show. He is somebody that me, Eric, and all of our friends grew up listening to on the radio. He has a podcast currently called Car Con Carne. He's an author and he's an amazing dude. We had such a great time and learned so much about the art of podcasting with James. Please enjoy. So, I've been practicing. It's really hard to say car con carne. Carcone. 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 If you, you know want to be truly mean? Spanglish, it's carcone. Okay, there you go. Carcone carne. So, I, I was like, Mike, practice <laughs> practice saying it. Yeah. No, we were in the Menards parking lot. He's like, Mike, say, say carcone carne. <laughs> like, really fast. And I don't was, say it like that. You should. I should. I you should. Carcone carne. Ladies and gentlemen, James Van Ozzel on the show. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for coming. I, I think all podcasts moving forward should come to the interviewee's home and scoop them up. I, I love this. this I is, agree. This yeah. is like concierge service. I, I really like this a lot. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us this evening. And uh, we have a ton of questions for you. But uh, we're going to start with one. Favorite Smoking Pope song? Oh, Before I'm Gone. Hmm. That's a that on the shoulder for me. Okay, I mean, I love. I mean, they're such a great band. I mean, for me, that album, Destination Failure, is the album. The Smoking Pope's album. So anything off that is a go-to for me. Right, and of course, uh, Josh did the theme song for the podcast. Oh, those many years ago. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but uh, I mean, what better guy to ask to do? He's he's the best. He is. He is the best. And they're like killing it right now on tour all over the place. It must be like the happening time to be on tour. It is, and Smoking Popes is, you know, for, it's interesting. For years, they weren't touring, and Josh said, "Yeah, we're not. We're kind of done with that life. That's not a thing that we're going to do." And now they're they're back in the groove, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I need to go to more shows. I don't get a chance to go to many shows because, as I was saying, I also have a landscaping company on the side, so it's like so you're up, up early every day. Yeah, yeah, it really takes up a lot of my time. But also, speaking of the Smoking Popes, did you ever attend a show at McGregor's in Elmhurst? Never, never. I was never that authentically punk rock. I love punk rock, but I was never authentically yeah, punk rock. Gotcha. So, what was your uh, music scene like when you first got into music and live shows? Where, where was your hangouts? I mean, I, you know, some of the first shows I ever went to in Chicago were at Cabaret Metro. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing the Stranglers in the 1980s and wow. Iggy Pop and yeah. stuff like that. The things I listened to. Back when I was, I'm a little bit older, I think, than both of you. Um, when I started listening to music, were what were considered college rock or later alternative rock, just fringe stuff. Whether it was Husker Du or the Pixies or you know some of the the post post wave stuff like uh, the Cure and Echo and the Bunnymen. That's that's what I grew up with. Thumbs like down. I remember, like when I was a kid, my parents would drive me to concerts as parents do when your kids are not able to drive. And I remember back in the day being dropped off at the Aragon Ballroom. Like, imagine in the 1980s dropping a kid off in Uptown and not having a cell phone. Yep. And just kind of rolling the dice and crossing your fingers like, let's try to meet up on this intersection, maybe between 10 and 11. Hope to see you there. Yeah. Not not even a pager. Not even a pager. Like, it seems, for for later generations, it probably seems hard to believe. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wouldn't even be able to explain it to my son if he tried to ask questions about how it was because, I, I mean, it's so completely opposite. Yes. I feel like a stranger in the night for sure uh, back then, and now it's just like, oh, you know, there's a flashlight on me at all times. You can find me anywhere. Yeah. Right, and, and think about Uptown, just thinking about going to the Riviera yeah. or the Aragon back in the day. Like, if you're a parent dropping a kid off back then, like, these days it's perhaps safer, perhaps. Uh, back then... No, yeah, not, <laughs> not at safe all. at all to drop a, a 15 year old, right? Me and my brother, he was 15, I was probably 13, going on 14. We would uh, we would take the metro, and they had this weekend pass for kids, I think, is you know, under for minors, whatever. We pay like five bucks, and it's all you can ride all weekend. So we would take the metro down, go to the metro or fireside yeah. bowl or whatever. And like just thinking about that, where my parents were like, "Yeah, get on a train, go on, go all down the into the city." Yeah, we would we would take the train into the, to the city from the burbs all the time. We jump yeah. on the red line. That I think that's you know, like dropping your kid off is one thing, but sending them on, yeah. on the rails, you yeah, know, exactly. like here, here's your bindle. Get on the get I mean, on. The train. I remember as a kid back when Wax Tracks was a record store on Lincoln Avenue in Lincoln Park. I mean, we would take the, the L, the red line to the Fullerton stop, walk to Wax Tracks. Where I'm sure, like you know, groovy man of Thrill Kill Cult was working behind the counter, and it was the loudest place on earth. But again, we were kids, and the going to what you're saying, Mike, like the yeah. idea of that, yeah. And and looking back, you know, my parents should have probably <laughs> yeah. cared a little more. Right, they should have put their foot down or been a little more aware. Yeah. Same, Do, same. No. Yeah, well, you know, what it could have, should have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, <laughs> I don't know. I purposely didn't do a whole lot of research because I I had some simple questions. I'm not. I don't want to like go all the way back, but like, what was it for you that was like the moment you said I wanted to be a broadcaster? Since I was a kid, you know, I I think I was unique, unique in that I kind of knew what I wanted to do as an adult from a very early age. I think some people, some people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, still haven't figured out what they want to do. But when I was a kid, I just I always wanted to be around music. I'm not a musician. I admire musicians greatly, uh, but I loved be I loved music. I loved being around music, and being on the radio as a broadcaster was a way to get me immersed in music. And I also like curation. I like sharing music with friends. This was a way to do that. A way to talk about music and share music with people. I never wanted to be a talk show host. That said, Carquin Carney has been a really fun podcast for me. But I always wanted to be around music, and that was a way to do it. Yeah. Um, would you say all these years that you've been in the business and stuff like that, what do you think of like the Chicago music scene now versus what it was back then? Like I, th I think it's different now, but I still think it's cohesive. You still have musicians playing with one another across genres. I mean, look at you two guys. I mean, you, people, you know, cross pollinate all the time. I think there's lots of cool out there stuff. There's always been out there stuff. I, I think the nineties get looked on as this magical Camelot type time. And it was, yeah. but that's not to say that what happens in the clubs now isn't awesome. Like there's not great stuff. There aren't great artists creating music here. Yeah. Right. I feel like it probably is happening right now, but we are attached to that moment in our lives where it was so magical for us. And I feel like, it is for our kids probably right now. Uh, there's probably some bands they're following that is super magical, but we can't relate to it. So maybe we're kind of like not, you know. But, but one of the problems I think that exists, using that word curation again, back in the day, back in the 1990s, like let's say when I was on the radio, I worked for a station called Q101 and I did the local music show there. 
I that was a place every Sunday night you knew you were going to hear an hour of independent Chicago music. I think it's harder, even though everything, every song, every artist, every album is floating out there on the internet, I think it's harder to find stuff you might be interested in yeah. because curation doesn't exist. It's algorithmically driven on platforms, right. but I, I find a lot of those algorithms strike out with me. I, I think it's hard to find those trusted voices who are going to turn you on to stuff. And so I, I'm sure, you know, back to the bigger question, I'm sure there are great things happening. I think it's harder to find what those things are. Yeah, sure. I, I think playlisting is kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's kind of tastemakers that put together playlists and, you know, you can kind of follow them on whatever platform, whatever. But there's so many of those that yes. you almost need a curator for the playlists, exactly. for the curators to be Who like... Who watches the Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think like local live venues back in the day like Fireside Bowl, for mm -hmm. example, would like, cause I would go down to Fireside not knowing who was playing just to, just to be there and kind of be like, this is something cool that I like. Is you knew be you going could roll on. the dice on, on any given night. Yeah. And it's probably walk away seeing something you liked. And Metro used to do that a lot too. Metro was very involved yeah. with local music back in the day. And they would do like their Tuesday night. I think the T's did one, um, or if not more, um, they would do like their $5. Yeah budget shows all local bands and you knew like okay maybe i don't know who any of these bands are but i bet i'm gonna like something right right and it was a low risk like five bucks sure i'll have a beer yeah see some live music and it'll be awesome i think there is less of that yeah absolutely and also speaking of metro do you know the real story why they painted over the walls i do not and the backstage i don't man another another chicago mystery man i have to get joe on the show yeah um you know my my dad's band tangentially my dad was in like a band and uh, back in the day, they didn't really do anything, but he, they played his wedding, Joe Shanahan's wedding, the bad wedding that that ended, you know. But but he, you know, they played. Wait, what was your dad's band? The Jimmy Hoffa band. Okay. Yeah, they did. So you know, they, they were had, hard. To, they were hard to find around town. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> were uh, they a were they a cover they, band? I mean, they had a lot of originals and a few covers, and it was kind of like uh, you know, they just wanted to please the crowd kind of thing they um no they headlined at the avalon i think on sheffield and smashing pumpkins open for them amazing yeah that was their you know amazing that's the end of, the, of my fatherly band <laughs> tales jimmy but, hoffa band yeah the jimmy hoffa oh. band Do they have any shirts laying around no I'd i wish love to have my, one he's got, my dad's got like a a logo that used to be on the bass drum that somebody made back in the day hanging on his wall. I got to like get that, make it into a t-shirt. It was really cool. It's like the hanging on the wall in here. The Y I think in the word Jimmy had like a little line tied to it, implying a rope and a cinder block hanging off the bottom of that. <laughs> nice. And a fish, you know, next to that. It's really cool. Um, I was thinking about your podcast and do you ever think of like health consciously when you're going out and you're eating at these all these amazing restaurants all the time? Just in terms of like taking care of my Yeah, well, I mean, the podcast is so amazing, but you guys are eating incredible food and sometimes it may not be the healthiest choice or maybe it is. Well, I have two answers to this. One, I like shitty food. Okay. I, I like dive food. Amen. I like hot dogs, tacos, I, I like I like divey food. The other answer to the question is I've found when I started doing this podcast almost 10 years ago, food was a, a principal part of it. You know, we'd go to a local restaurant. 
we would sit in my parked car, not unlike sitting in a parked RV, um, just less space. We'd eat food and we'd talk, we'd do an interview. For those first few years, I was footing the bill for all the food we ate. Terrible business model, terrible business idea, <laughs> uh, especially as I increased the frequency of how often I did these podcasts. It was all out of pocket, Ter terrible idea. I then, as the podcast grew and it became more familiar, I was able to connect with local restaurateurs who would, just for product placement, they would provide food. And it was a nice little partnership. It's hard to hustle those up. And I, I hate doing the cold calls slash emails. And I found, especially over this past year, going to restaurants and doing that isn't really why people are listening. It's to hear TLB or... Who right. should be on the podcast um, or plain white teas or it's, it's, the, it's the interviews. It's the interviewees. So I, I've done a few recently where I haven't had food at all. And I don't I don't know. And I wonder if my podcast is worse for it or if it, it's a non-issue. It's something as a podcast host, as an entrepreneur, I think you need to give yourself permission to go in different directions, take chances. Right. And if something doesn't work perfectly, don't do it. And that's kind of what I'm wrestling with right now. I think the food thing is charming. I think it's honestly, I think it's entertaining. Like everyone's like excited, like, oh, I'm going to try this or, you know, and I, and oh, whoa, that's got a little bit of spice to it or something. And then the guys in the back seat are like, oh, shit. I mean, I think it's good. Uh, I think it's, it helps with, uh, you know, the little spots in there or whatever, where maybe, you know, someone's saying something dumb or something, you know? Yeah. That's um, interesting, though, with you wondering that. Um, makes me wonder do you have a way to get any kind of feedback from your, your audience? Sure. Like, is it through social media they comment? or It would have to be through social. I mean, I, I could certainly do a survey. I can right. just ask the question flat out in a video and, and post that or in an episode. It's something I'm thinking about. If I had a pod or a restaurant sponsor for every episode, great. I would love that. I just Part of me needs to give myself permission because I'm doing like six to eight episodes a month to not always do that because it's it, it's impossible to keep that pace and hustle partners right i mean when i saw you the other night at the tease show i was thinking to myself like so what is your typical schedule like during the week well i work a straight nine to five which okay. is more like an eight to six is so, that in journalism or any kind of no no it, it's, it's a marketing cool? job outside of the industry okay gotcha um and then after that you know i have a family and the podcast is the proverbial side hustle slash labor of love so you're in it like all of us, like I have to do a landscaping business. Yeah, exactly. And we have all this crazy stuff going on. I mean, I love my day job, and this podcast gives me a chance to scratch my creative itch. Yeah, right. What's it like um, versus working in radio with a boss to kind of be able to do whatever you well, want? Well, it's the best. and it, I mean, you, you hit it on the head. The thing I liked doing most on the radio was interviews. I loved having conversations with musicians, especially. And doing this podcast was just my selfish way of still doing the kind of radio I like to do without having to do it on the radio. Can I can I say as a musician that has done interviews on the radio, I hate them because they're like five minutes long, ten minutes long, and you're That's, like, you're right. Why can't we just you know? I want to talk for an hour. You know, you get into like the beginnings of a conversation and then, all right, well, yeah, it's bye. very superficial. You, know? you, you have, and live interviews don't even really happen on the radio anymore, yeah. which is a, another topic. But as a host, you have five minutes, you have enough time to welcome the band and just ramp up before you have to throw to a commercial break. Yeah. And five minutes is probably too long. So as a host, you have to ask the, you know, the important question, 
Mike, why did you kill that hooker in Vermont? <laughs> she had it coming. <laughs> right. You have to get that out of the way. All right. And so the new album's out. Uh, here's the new single. Tell us about that. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It, it is. It's inauthentic. Yeah. And then the host leaves and you, and the band sits and records liners for 20 minutes. That's exactly. And then there are the oh, pictures. Our affiliates. But I, something like this, what you're doing here in, in the RV, what I, what I do in the car, it's it's natural. It's It's unscripted. It's just... Yeah. people talking there's there's something really wonderful about that and kind of why i wanted to start this and eric too is it's a good excuse to like hang out with people I, and have conversations because <laughs> listen if we called you up and said hey james we want to come over and just talk for <laughs> like what are you talking about you know i i feel the same way i i've told plenty of people that my podcast Carquin carney's kind of my social life at this point yeah it's my chance to have cool conversations with people who i like and yeah, many of whom I've never met before. It really has become a social outlet as well as a creative outlet for me. Yeah, I mean, I love it just for the simple fact, exactly like you can go unscripted. We can just have a conversation. I I don't like when there's like a million questions. Some sometimes you have to ask like some beginning questions for a lot of people that maybe you know are um, not so well known or something like that. But I feel like everyone has a voice, everyone has a story or whatever. So it's good to know a little bit of back history. But I feel like doing the traditional interview sometimes, I feel like it's just more fun to have an open conversation. It is. I mean, I feel like it, it, this is me being a former radio guy joining your podcast. I probably need more introduction than some of your other guests. I don't know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm James Van Osdell. I worked in Chicago radio for a lot of years and I do a podcast. And it's amazing. If people know us, they definitely know you because you're a legend. You know? Stop. It's true. I know you don't like being called that, and that's that's fair. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, you've been uh, in our ears for a long time. Very true. In, a, in, a, in an excellent, Thank you. awesome way. <laughs> Thank you. So let's get uh, meta a little bit and talk about podcasting. Do you do a lot of preparation going for into For interviews, a... I do a ton. Okay. I, I, I think it's... I don't know if you can tell... We do zero. <laughs> but for something like this, I mean, especially when you know someone. Right. I mean, I, I do. If if Josh Caterer were to walk in here right now, right. I wouldn't prepare. But you do. Well, some things. Normally you do a, a ton. Uh, for artists, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's disrespectful for me to oh, sit sure. down with an artist who has an album out or a body of work and not have more than just a, a, a glancing familiarity with it. Right, and that's what I was getting at a little bit earlier was like sometimes like it's okay to have the open conversation, but it's also good to do your homework a little bit too. So because we are here to obviously have a conversation, but we also when we invite someone on the show, we also are, we're trying to give you know as much information to the public as possible about their new project or what they're doing. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I I'm not working anything. I'm not here to promote anything. So you don't need to prep for me. But if you are an author, I am an author. You can promote. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And you have an and awesome podcast. Should. You've written uh, two books? Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just, people should go buy your books. I'm just here, I'm just here to be social. Okay. But, you know, if if I had, I'm trying to think, you know, I interviewed Gary Newman. It was like a big podcast bucket list thing for me this past year. I certainly wanted to go in there making sure I knew what I was talking about. Sure. He's, he, I don't know, but he seems very intimidating to me. He's intimidating because he's, I mean, he's a major influence. I mean, I think anyone who's ever played a synthesizer since... 1978 owes him some debt of gratitude. Yeah, I would have been shaking, <laughs> you know. Right. So I think like the moral of the story is is obviously always be a little prepared. 
you always know. do what Mike and Eric don't, don't do. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Don't do. Well, and here's the other thing about preparation. It helps you when you freeze because no matter how good a conversation is going, there will be times when you just kind of lose your place or you lose your momentum and having notes on paper or on a laptop just helps you recenter. Right. And right. it gives you a, a, an ability to pivot without having to think hard. Exactly. Do you edit a bunch? Funny you should ask. I try not to. I try not to edit a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I've done this enough. I, you know, I'm 900 plus episodes into the podcast. I did radio for a long time. I've done this enough where I kind of feel when I have a conversation, I know when I've hit the point of diminishing returns and it's time to wrap things up. Yeah. I, I'm very forgiving of things like ums, uhs, pauses in conversation because that's how people talk. Right. Other people who podcast will tell you the exact opposite. And I do think I'm un- unusual or unique in that I don't spend a lot of time cutting up gotcha. audio. I mean, I'll make sure everything is compressed and all that, but I, I don't meticulously go in and spend hours yeah. cutting up a-, a 30, 40 minute conversation because one, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think the, I think the audience is forgiving of that stuff Two, The return on that amount of work is really low. Yeah. If you're putting five to 10 hours of editing work into a podcast, what are you really getting back? 100, right, right. 100 listens, it's not worth it. Unless you're doing it for yourself to learn. Yeah. You know, basically. But yeah, I, I think with us, let it, I don't know what I'm doing. So <laughs> I, can I toss it that? off to Mike. You know, it's like, hey, Mike, this one's on you, buddy. Yeah. yeah but we're not trying to make it perfect and all cut up stuff too. Or like, you know, like you said, it's like time, just record it, put it out there and see what happens, you know. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. This, this is how people talk. Yeah. Unless we have on the show and, he's like, and he says like, 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 like. You, you can't get rid of people's crutches right. that, or, or verbal tics. That, right. that's, I have them. Everybody has them. Of course. It's deleting their personality. You know, that's part of them. It's just how people talk. Yeah. Yeah. Setting our ways for sure. No instruments at all? You don't play anything? I don't. It, during the pandemic, once 2020 hit with full force, I'm like, I want to learn how to play guitar. So I bought a $100 Fender acoustic guitar. And I took the Fender Play online lessons. Yep. Did that for about a year and a half or so. I never got good, but it was it was a fun outlet. It was just a nice way for me to do something that wasn't doom scrolling or waiting for the world to end. Yeah. Yep. I, I never felt competent. And learning on an acoustic was probably the worst way to do it because it was hard to move my fingers around. Sure. Around Especially like a $100 Fender. If it wasn't set up, it was probably pretty hard yeah, to play. Yeah, but then, you know... it. I would think it would build your strength up quicker than probably on an electric or I mean, make you quit one of the two. I, yeah. I felt proud of myself when my fingers started to get callous. I'm like, okay, now, yeah. now yeah. we're getting into Night, this. Now Here we go. Guitars, right. yeah. you know? I would figure after all these years of interviewing so many people that you would have had the itch to just like get out there and bang away on some guitar or drums or something like I that. I think I've always had the itch, but I knew I didn't have the aptitude. Huh? I think it's like, I think everybody has it, but you know, it's a learnable skill. It's, it's a learnable you know, skill. Like anything. It, it was a fun distraction, if nothing else, during the pandemic. Yeah. It was something I could do for you know an hour a night. Right. Absolutely. I, if long? you have a guitar, I could play an E chord for you. I, I could do that right now. <laughs> we always do, and today we don't. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Uh, where Where do you feel? Where do you? Uh, how, how? Do you have any other podcast ideas, or are you going to stick with this one and see it through? Ten years in, I, I'm. I'm I'm not this, going anywhere. This else. is yeah. This is the girl I'm taking to the dance. This yeah. is, <laughs> and I had podcast. I had done other podcasts prior to this. I mean, I've been podcasting since 2006. But this is this is what I like to do. I mean, I, I like 
the interview. I like the interview format. I think I'm in something of a groove and people know what it is. And yeah, yeah. I, I can't see. You're consistent. You got video. I've I got mean... video. I, I'm probably overly consistent because I'm doing probably two a week at this point. I don't, I mean, I enjoy waking up or whatever, going to bed and seeing, oh, James got another one up, you know? And if anything, we just can't probably maybe keep up with you. I There's something to be said. I mean, there's a podcasting philosophy, which is probably correct, and I don't follow it, of being consistent with release date and time. I'm not. I mean, because I'm getting these podcasts recorded so often, I'm not sticking to that at all. I'm just kind of like, okay, once it's in, I got to get it out. Right. It's a lot of work. And I think that's something that maybe we should talk a little bit about because I think that's a misconception. A lot of people think that, oh, it's not really a lot of work, but it really is. Because once you go to your soul, like it's okay to have a conversation, but you saw how much work it took for us to come and then set things up. And it's not everyone has, you know, the perfect setup, right? So you got set up time, this and that. But then after you get done with the conversation, then you got to go home, you got to edit, you got to put the pictures together, then the social, which I don't know, do hashtags even matter? Less so, but. Just to give you perspective, I, I itemized all this stuff after I covered Riot Fest I wa- this year. I read it. Just to kind of recap for those who didn't read it, because I, maybe I shared it on Facebook. I definitely put it on LinkedIn. Um, for a podcast, besides the preparation. So for Riot Fest, I interviewed, I think, 10 different artists. So I prepared for 10 different interviews. And the, most of those artists were artists that I wasn't wildly familiar with. So I needed to get acquainted with who they are and what they do. Um, I recorded the audio on my hard drive recorder, the video on my Mevo camera. After finishing each interview, I would go into the audio files. I would compress them, normalize them, chop off the ends so that they made tidy files. Then I would take those audio files, export them into my video editor. I would grab the video or the the, um, SD card I recorded the video on. I would synchronize the compressed audio with the video I took and created a video file for each interview. From that video file, I would export that file and create an audio file with an introduction and that became the podcast audio episode. Once that episode was created, I would write a description for it, post that description onto my podcast host, upload the audio to the podcast host, and then once that audio was uploaded, I would take the embed code and put it on my website as a separate post. Then, once that's done, I would take the video files, upload them to YouTube and to Facebook. Once those were done, and that takes a while to upload, I would then create shorts and reels for social media based on those interviews. YouTube shorts are a really easy way to generate a lot of interest very quickly. They really put those in front of a lot of eyes. So shorts can't be any longer than 60 seconds to be considered a short on YouTube. So I had to create 60 second shorts for YouTube. And then I would just use the same thing for Facebook reels, Instagram reels, and TikToks. The whole process, post-production, not involving any heavy editing at all. It's probably two hours per episode. In your Mazda. Well, this is all this work usually is done at home after I'm done recording. I can't believe you get all that done in two hours. I've got it down to like that's no fucking around. I'm because yeah. <laughs> I've got it down to you know. Just, I thought I honestly no joke thought you were gonna say twelve. It's and this is why I don't waste time excising every uh right, or, right. or pause because who has time for that? Yeah. I've, I've got too much other shit to organize. Yeah. Right. So when you're at Riot Fest, is it 
how it's the whole day, right? Yeah. And you're working on your car. They got you set up oh, no, on I'm, that I'm, little I'm, picnic I'm, table. I'm or? in the media tent. Okay, you're in the media tent, so you got access to a little bit more than just your car. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there at a table. I've got you know power strips. It's shocking to me through the years who gets back back there in that media area. There was one dude <laughs> backstage this year in the media tent who wrote a word find or a crossword puzzle book about bands. And he was just back there. Like, he wasn't covering the event. And maybe I'm a purist, but he wasn't there actually doing anything right. other than drinking the free Red Bulls and Malort shots. Getting in your yeah. getting in your view. Yeah, there are a lot of people who just linger, and I'm like, fuck, I'm working. Like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm here to cover this. Yeah, you're all I business. people don't realize how far asking will get you. you yeah, know? that's the truth. Because, you know, uh, I've done interviews and stuff where it's you show up, you're playing a festival, whatever, and, and you... Your tour manager says, oh, um, so-and-so wants to do an interview. Okay, so you go, and they're not always, um, like, real people who interview people. Yeah. Sometimes it's just like, you know, I don't, not like, a, not somebody starting out, but just somebody who just thought, hey, maybe if I ask, I could get backstage and, yep. and have access to the, you know, and they, you know, whatever. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I can only imagine like if you're back there, how stressful it would be trying to concentrate, trying to gather everybody, making sure. Because when we're playing as a band, you know, we're having a few cocktails or whatever, yeah. mingling with everybody and stuff. It's like, oh shit, we got to be over by James by this time. And then it's like, oh, so and so over here is trying to. I can only imagine it's probably kind of hard to get everybody to like, you know. Well, it's hard as a one person operation, right? I don't have someone like if I'm getting a text from band A. Can't say, oh, band A's over there. And that's what I was going to ask you: is are you like manning the ship all by yourself all day long? You are. You you book all your guests. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I I mean, I assumed from our conversation the other night that you are, but I mean, like, even with that, I thought maybe you'd bring somebody with to try to wrangle the people up for you or something. But I've always said when I make my first million on the podcast, the first thing I'm doing is hiring a producer to book. Yeah. Yes, because it's hard. As you guys know, now that you're in this world, uh, you get cancellations, reschedules. Um, you know, things happen to the two of you that cause you to have to readjust plans. And right. It's a lot to juggle. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely it's no easy task at all to uh, to get these done. But you know, you have to really want to do it. You have to. Re- this has to be a passion thing for you. Otherwise, yeah, you'll get really frustrated really easily. Which well, is like, the same with music. Of course. You know? right. Of course. Any creative pursuit, really. I mean, yeah. writing. You could. And it's also the same. You know. The the kid in the media tent who maybe shouldn't be there. Like, same with, you know, booking shows and stuff. People starting out in bands are like, how do you play shows? Just ask. Hey, can my band play? And nine times out of ten, somebody's got a stage for you to play yeah. on. And you might be horrible, but if you love it, you're going to keep doing it. You're going to get better. And That's then you're going to be playing the venues you want to play. and Or, or you're going to suck and you're going to hate doing it and you're going to break up and, you know. There's plenty of those bands out there, too. For sure. So last but not least, with the time, do you just tell yourself this time every night, I'm going to get this done? I'm going to edit this. I'm going to do it. Do you set times for yourself or just kind of just like wander through the evening? All right, I got a spare minute here. I'm going to grab this and do this. No, I I do. I I don't have like a set time every day, but I do focus on the podcast. I, I do find time every day to focus on it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the hardest thing to find. It's like, you know, with, in a world where there's a million things going on, we have to work different jobs and stuff like that or whatever, and then this is our passion on the side. It's like, I think 
to somebody out there that's trying to have a podcast or is trying to do it, it's like you just have to like set the time aside and no excuse. Yeah. You know, I'm going to edit this, you know, now. You have to want to do it. Yeah. Well, the dog's peeing on my leg. I'm still going to edit this. Mm -hmm. That's right. (laughs) But I I try after a record. I mean, I try to get everything wrapped up that day. I, I don't like having things backed up. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things that we found is helpful is getting our intros and our outros done after we meet with the guest before we end the night because we're finding that oh okay that that answers my question okay so there is an intro to this yes there is an intro to this so i wasn't going to leave you just oh who's this guy that's why i felt i needed to audible like mid mid interview yeah no i'm sorry um yeah so (laughs) anyways yeah so what we've been doing that we've been like doing like a separate thing when and i do it and then i send it over to mike and whatever we just make it a little more exciting and stuff you know on our part because there's music that's gonna play. As you know, you know, for somebody that I'm, I'm a shy guy. I'm not really a, a talker, and it's like trying to in front of somebody, let alone you, um, because I idolize you. I think you're you're incredible, but it's very hard to uh, come up with, you know, say an intro or something like right on the spot. Sometimes, you know, yeah, and I, I feel that. like sometimes it, it's just for us. So far, it's worked really well. Where you know, I just kind of do it where I. After the thought. You said something interesting about being introverted. What I've found working in broadcasting, most of the people who are on the air are total introverts. Yeah. And you would think the opposite. Like, well, these people talk yeah. to X amount of people every time they're they're on a microphone. It's just different. And I, I found a lot of the big celebrities, radio celebrities in the past, total introverts. I don't think I'm extroverted at all. I, I think I'm, by and large, someone who keeps to himself. And I'm a little bit of both. I, I, I like to think of myself as an extroverted introvert. Like, I can turn it on if I have to. I can do the small talk. I'd rather not. Yeah. Yeah, my wife was saying on the a little bit when we said we were having you on the show, and she was like, are you nervous? And I was – I feel like all of us have been in music and seen each other across yeah. the paths. I mean, it's just kind of like family at some point. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, you, I think there's something, you know, like playing music in, you know, in front of 60,000 people – is so much easier than playing music for one or two sure. people. So much easier. And I, I don't know why. But having just, a conversation is actually, I feel, much easier than being... I if I were to whip out a guitar right now and sing a song on your podcast or something, it would be very... I would be horrible. I agree. It would be ter- so <laughs> yeah. bad. Like Josh, again, I don't know how he does it. He's just like yeah. flawless all the time, you know? But you guys are obviously probably pretty close friends at this point through all the years and stuff. So he's probably like, yeah, no problem. But it is, it is what you guys just described. I and mean, we've all been doing this and been in each other's orbits for long enough. Like we are just kind of, yeah, it's like we all went to school together. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's James over there and yeah. there's Josh, you know, whatever. And, and you just go on and go on. Did you go to broadcasting school? I went to Columbia college. So my academic history, I went to the university of Kansas for two years after two years, I was invited to not come back. Um, oh, I didn't know that was the thing that happened. Uh, well, it is. If you, here's here's the secret: if you if your GPA starts with a decimal point, <laughs> the school will not yeah. have a vested interest in your gotcha. continued participation. Okay. Uh, so I finished at the University of Kansas, came back home, tail between my legs, and I finished my bachelor's at Columbia College. Okay. Where I took broadcasting classes never had to take a math class there i think they've changed that since but that was awesome yeah that sounds um, great <laughs> the best uh finished at columbia and at columbia while at columbia i interned at wxrt and then i interned at q101 about 
four or five months after they changed to what was called the alternative format. And that became a place I ended up working at. Cool. Did you enjoy doing when you would be the host of the evening or something like that for like, uh, I don't know if you did any of the Twisted Christmases because I was young and very probably drunk at that point at those shows <laughs> but the beginning ones twisted and even. yeah it twisted and stuff and i was usually always late to even get there but um how was that exciting for you to be able to yes and no I, when i started in radio first of all going back to that time that magical time the 1990s back in those days working for the alternative station was not it was a popular thing to do it wasn't a cool thing to do so the cool kids hated the alternative radio station so I, I had PTSD from doing stage announcements at Q101 because every time I went on stage, I knew people were going to throw shit at me. They were going to flip me off. They were going to boo me. It was, it, was, it, was like being, it was like being Chris Jericho in like peak heel. Like you knew <laughs> like you were going to bring heat from the entire fucking room every time right. you walked on stage. Um, so it was thrilling, but also I, I found that stuff very stressful. You know, fast forward to the present day, I'm perfectly fine going on stage and doing stuff. But back then I knew like I had to kind of brace for impact every time I walked on stage because I knew people were going to just rip me apart. Yeah. Who was your favorite guest? Uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of them, but one that like kind of like you enjoyed so much that you think about quite often from the radio days. Yeah. You know, I'd loved my favorite thing in radio was doing the local show, which I mentioned um, you know, being there as bands were ascendant or even descendant was was fun. I'll never forget, truly, the Jesus Lizard played Lollapalooza. I, th- I forgot what year it was. It was mid-90s. And they came off the Lollapalooza tour because you know, back in the day, kids, Lollapalooza was a tour. It wasn't a stationary festival. And they rolled in all their you know, stacks and cabinets. And it was the loudest in-studio performance I ever experienced <laughs> at Q101. To the point where the neighbors on floors 18 and 16 around us called the station to complain. But the Jesus, they were touring behind Shot, which was their 1996 album. Um, they just brought hell and fire into the studio, and it was amazing. Wow. We just went and saw, it was Warren, right? Yeah. Speaking of the Jesus Lizard. Oh, and back to my dad's band. Yeah. His new band. They opened for Warren. No way! Out of nowhere, yeah. It and a, I had that never. Sounds like, this sounds like a Ron Onesti show in St. Charles. It was uh, in Aurora at the Piazza. Okay, there it is. Yeah, Kyle D at the Piazza. I was blown away by Warrant. Let me just really? say, yeah, and I was going in there, being an alternative kid, you know, from when alternative like that to me when I was my formative years, yeah, punk and alternative. Well, alternative in into punk was the you know that was my thing. Warrant was the enemy. They, they were the that enemy. Was, That's it. You know, and I I walked in, you know, in 2000, no, in 2023, Jesus Christ, <laughs> with that same attitude, thinking I'm going to hate every fucking moment of Arms this. Arms folded across the chest. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, you know, my dad's opening. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll support my dad and sit through Warrant, Jesus Christ. And they get on stage and they're fucking incredible. Mike was crying. I wasn't, not exactly crying, but I bought a t-shirt. I did buy a t-shirt and, but yeah, the, their, their vocalist was, you know, singing everything, hitting every fucking note. Like one of the most freeing and liberating things I I did for myself as an adult is let go of the idea of guilty pleasures. Yeah. Of of, like 
drawing a line. It's a very healthy thing to do. Drawing a line, know? like warrant bad, pixies good. Yeah. Like you like what you like. Right. And it, it takes a certain level. I, I don't want to say I'm mature, but it takes a certain level of maturity to get to that point where you're not an asshole about music other people like. Yeah. And I, I think, it, you know, having years of experience helped me to be, to watch them and be like, Oh, I can, I can see their influences. Like they're, Oh, I thought they were this, but like they're, yeah. this is totally like kiss. Oh, that bass, that's rock and roll. The sixties rock and roll they're doing. Like yep. I get it. Now I get it. But yeah, I was, I was impressed. I mean, we went home talking show. about that show for like two, three days. That's how good it was. I mean, it was just some, like some of the, the best live vocal that I've ever experienced. I, and isn't that why we all go see live music is to have moments like that that stay with you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when they hit you unexpectedly, right? That's the best. Yeah. And that is like really interesting because I mean it's been a while since I've felt that way. Yeah, we left feeling like this is the best new old band we've seen <laughs> fucking ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was just I don't know something about that night it was it was dialed in. It was magic for sure. Yeah, that whole pandemic thing where there was no live music that that put a real uh, spanner now. in the works. Well, I, I'll tell you, I love live music. I love going to shows. The hard part is just finding time in our schedules to see right. shows like I did back right back in the day. I, you know, as a podcaster, I, you know, this night's taken. I'm recording tomorrow night. I'm recording Thursday night. Like maybe I'll try to see something Friday or Saturday, or maybe I won't. Yeah. Or maybe I'll take my family out to dinner. Right, or something. exactly. <laughs> At some exactly. point, you know, like that's that's the thing. It's like man, there's just such a balance. Do you? I should know this, but I don't. Um, do you ever go to a concert and then do an episode with the artist playing, either before or after? I, I'd love to do more of that. Yeah, um, I, I do like doing that. Um, a couple of years ago, I did one with uh, Tom Higginson. Oh right, right. Uh, at the MS Suck show. I've heard of that guy, but it it is few and far between. Uh, I'm going to do it with the queers at Punk Rock Tacos uh, mid month. I saw that. Um, but I, I I want more of those opportunities. Yeah. But again, going back to what I'm going to do with my first million, my producer will book those for me because it's it's a, a lot of work to coordinate. Yeah, I, think I mean, I yeah. Gary Newman was before a, the show. Just a quick phone, you know. I guess find out who to email or something. Well, that that's the hard part, right? Like I, I do a lot of wheel spinning, just trying to get at people, right? Yeah, because there are layers. Yeah. Well, one would think that you have probably all the access to everyone and their mother. Oh God, no. Yeah. Oh no way. I would say it's probably probably difficult to get a hold of people. Still. It is difficult, but also the, the beautiful thing about being part of the internet age, you can track this stuff down. Like I had Stuart Copeland on my podcast this week from or this this year. From the police, you know, Grammy Award winning, one of the greatest drummers in, in rock and roll. Um, I just tracked his information down from social media and got got to the right people at the right frame yeah. of mind, and I was able to do that. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to have Bunny Carlos, speaking of drummers, of Cheap Trick on my show. Managed to get to him, got a, got a firm no thank you, but you can get to people. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> well... I would never turn you down, James. I gotta thanks, There's but I'll a, pass. I'm really bad at this, and it it's a shame that I feel like this it's it's something that people need in uh, our current age. But like self promotion in a way that's like, hey, I'm so and so, and I'm important, and you should <laughs> you know that whole thing like sending an email like 
just listing off your your accolades or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of have it down to a templated form letter. Like here's here's what the podcast is. Here's how long I've been doing it. Here's what I've done. Here's what other people are saying. I'm okay with that. I think the hard part, the harder part for people, creatives or people in a creative pursuit is selling yourself. Promote. I can promote myself. That's I, Yeah, when I say self-promotion, I more mean selling yourself. It, it's a lot different when you have to say, here's what I do and here's what I think you should pay me because of that. Yeah. And I, that's where I have a real yeah. hard time. I've been able to monetize the podcast, but I always feel a little sheepish asking people for money for for a podcast that I do. It, right. And because I, you're I, a real creative person. I, I think it's a really, it, it's a different part of the brain that I, I choose to not use. It, it, I don't want to use it. I have to. I'd yeah. rather not. But I could promote myself all day long because there are creative ways to do it where you don't feel like a huckster or P.T. Barnum. There, there are ways to promote yourself, but the selling yourself makes me feel gross. It's tough, though. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you should be like P.T. Barnum to an extent, you yeah. know, like that. that's being really good at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it, it, it feels so wrong, right? <laughs> yes. Anyway. I mean, I'm I'm not good at that and I'm never going to be good at that. So someone, some between you and I, someone's got to get good at that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the hardest thing for you guys is sharing the responsibilities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as, as much work as I, I find myself doing, I think it's hard, like figuring out that division of labor. And like getting in that routine, I think that's that's the biggest challenge you guys have. Yeah, going in, I kind of was like, yeah, let's you know, we don't need to edit anything. Let's keep everything raw. And then I was like, oh, we need. I think you know, we didn't do an intro one episode. So I was like, Eric, can you record an intro? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'll come up with something. And then three hundred takes later, he emails <laughs> me winging something. it, piecing it together. Yeah, I and mean, then, how hard is it to do it? I mean, it's probably easy for you now, but I mean, to when I sit down and I try to do like something like I can get it across finally, really great, but it. it it's like 47, maybe 147 takes before I find one that I'm actually really happy with. Uh, the key is just being, just letting it go. Yeah, just, let it go. Just realizing people don't hear the same thing you do. Yeah. And I, I'm very forgiving if I stumble over stuff. I don't care. I also think it's the musician in me, too, because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, we got to get that part just perfect sometimes or sometimes in TLB. I don't care. I don't even practice. I don't, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Big show coming up. Don't tell Stupy I didn't practice. <laughs> are but, you a are you a big tech guy? I appreciate technology. I, I use technology. I like fiddling around with it, but I'm not like uh, products, platforms. Right. Uh, You're not reading. Uh, no, magazines no, no. About I, 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 the latest and greatest. Technology is such a big part of everything I do, but I'm not super nerdy about it. Are, are you a, as amazed as I am that like? This is able to happen. Oh, all like, the time. I, I think about that every time I podcast. Yeah. Or that I, kids can make, you know, Hollywood quality movies with their phones. And absolutely, it's I mean, crazy. I had to record my most recent podcast as we're recording this in, in early December. I had to record it, the video on my phone, and it looked really good. Right. Yeah. It looked as good as my camera, which I left at home that night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the GoPro, the you know, three hundred dollar for. $2,000 camera, I mean, the, the phone sometimes just works. Yeah. And it's easier access, I think, probably to download or whatever. Like, Deanna from Sincere Engineer was telling us she just does everything right on her phone when she made her music videos, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's like, whoa, okay. Films it, edits it. it. This is her year, right? Oh, yeah. She 
Well, this year, next year, yeah, yeah, and exactly. probably the year after. This 12-month period is her 12-month yeah. period, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, so fascinating. I mean, what a great, great, great band. And, and when, she's just a great lyricist, too. I love, love yeah. what she writes. Yeah. She was so fun to have on our podcast. We enjoyed her so much. And it was so cool because like we, we went all over the map about touring and all this crazy stuff, and we just really enjoyed it. And then uh, to see them out on the road killing it right now, First headlining tour. I know. Yeah. And I, we were, I was saying, I was like, hold on to your pants on this one, you know? Yeah. This is it. It happens quick. Yeah, this is really it for them. So I'm super excited for them. Me and Eric and our spouse went to uh, a magic show in DeKalb. Okay. Right? Or Sycamore. Yeah. And walking down the street, there's a, a car with an open window blasting Sincere Engineer. I love that. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. I love that. Amazing. Just randomly. Anyway. Yes. Super excited for them. Um, where can... Their hot stuff. So everybody... all Do you have an actual website? Yeah. Carconcarne.com. Uh, C-A-R-C-O-N-C-A-R-N-E. So we can send everybody over there straight yeah, and I have them. I have everything there. All the information, every episode. Um, link to all the videos on YouTube. It's, it's all pretty easy to digest. Yeah. Okay. I figured that was it. And then obviously, I'm sure pretty much most of Chicagoland is following you on Facebook or Instagram anyway. So I, that is not true. And I would, I would appreciate making more friends. All right. Everybody follow James Van Osdall on all that stuff. We really appreciate all of your advice and everything. Are, are we really done? I mean, we don't have to be. No, what are we at? Uh, 51. Oh, this is terrible. We got you, another hour. Your episodes are usually like 90 minutes. What, what does that say about me? Well, no, no that says we. We didn't do our preparation. Well, no, that says I was trying to appreciate your time. We're like 40 minutes short of what you usually do. How do you do the preparation? Is it just the Wikipedia article about the guest or? It it depends on the guest. I mean, first and foremost, I listen to the music. Right. Right. Um, That seems important, I would say. Well, that would be like, uh, so like what just happened there for someone that's starting a podcast or whatever, how do you kind of like, you know when something's going one way or the other way or whatever, but how do you respect somebody's time too? Like is an hour about usually the... I My interviews usually don't go more than 30 minutes. 30 minutes, yeah. Because you want to keep attention, I guess. Yeah, and I, I just kind of run out of things to say. Yeah. And I, I mean this, we're, I think this situation is different. We've all been, like I said, in each other's orbits for a long time. It's very natural. But for a stranger, like I especially if we're sitting next to each other in the front seat of my car, uh, I feel like 30 minutes is as far as I want to push it. Yeah, that's got to be... I think about that all the time, being like right next to each other, eating a burger or something. And some people are conscious about eating on on camera and stuff. And so it's like... Some people are into the concept. I had... This was a few years ago. This is probably 2018, maybe 2019. I had Dave Perner of Soul Asylum in the car. We did this in front of Metro. He... Looked the entire time, behaved the entire time like his management had done him wrong by agreeing to the interview. <laughs> like, oh no, he would have been happier anywhere else wow. on earth. In you know, at 23rd or was it 23rd in California, the the, the prison over there? Yeah, he would have been happier there. Um, Tiffany was a good one, I really enjoyed that episode. Uh, a returning guest, I've had her on twice. Oh, yeah, um, and then the other, then Peterick, come on. Jim, Jim Peterick sitting right next to you. Singing. You, you want to talk about meta? Having Jim Peterick sing "Vehicle in My Vehicle" was about as great as it gets. Yeah. Well, you got to make that happen again. <laughs> well, I, I really wanted Gary Newman to do "Cars in My Car," but you know, I'm, uh, I'm a one for two. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. You do fine. Yeah. How do you deal? Do you have any secret 
tricks to deal with awkward pauses in interviews when you're like, both parties are, oh, we got to say something. What are, Just be prepared. Okay. I mean, it goes back to what I was saying at the yeah. beginning. It's Look at the ha- notes. Have your notes and know, know where to go next. Because sometimes when you're in the thick of a conversation, it, you you kind of trip over yourself mentally. and It's hard to kind of recalibrate. Having the notes in front of you allows you to recalibrate. Yeah. But again, nice. we're not on the radio. We're yeah. podcasting. People don't give a shit. Right, yeah. exactly. Ha- yeah, yeah. Man, so many podcasts that I listen to are just like, you know, the Zoom recorder in a bar with, you know, people eight feet away from the microphone. And Yeah, my friend Patrick owns a, a comic book shop in Chicago called Challenger's Comics. It's in Bucktown on Western Avenue. And he's been doing a podcast for a very long time. It's probably in the 800 episode range. Um, and it's about comics retail. And I find it super interesting. He records it just like you said. He drops a cell phone in the middle of a table between him and his co-owner. Audio is not perfect, but I still listen to it because it's the yeah, content. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, You're a big comic guy, aren't you? Less, I, I find myself losing interest as the years progress because I, I find it all madden, maddeningly complex and hard to follow these days. But yeah, I love comics. I feel like it used to be that to me, and now it's that times a billion. A billion. Yeah. It, it's really hard to keep and track of anything. It also used to be, from my point of view, kind of like a subculture, you know, thing that nerds, geeks, yeah. whatever were into. And now I see people on Facebook saying like, oh, I'm such a nerd, I, you know, going to see the new... Uh, you know, the number one movie in America right. owned by the number one biggest company. In, I'm like, what are you no, talking it, about? You it, like popular your, your things. Your culture is pop culture. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Have you visited a Fry the Coop yet? No, although it comes highly recommended. Okay, fantastic. Add another recommendation to yep, that okay. pile. Yeah. So you got two. Do you cook? Uh, I like cooking. Yeah. I, I suck at baking. I like cooking. Baking is, that's a different thing. It is that's science thing. cooking. It is. Yeah. This is like the difference between promotion and sales. Yes. Agreed. I like promotion. I like cooking. Sales is baking. Right. I, I'll tell you what I did for dinner this week. I, I, I didn't cook. I'll tell you about a great dinner I had this week. So there's a place called, oh God, Sun Hua on Broadway in... The avant-garde jazz artist? <laughs> Sun Ra. Oh, shit. Close. Uh, it's on Broadway, just south of Foster, like edge of Edgewater, right by Uptown, Argyle Street, that whole area. They they specialize in Peking duck, that kind of dried out, crispy skin duck. They have an off-menu duck dinner option that you have to call and reserve in advance. It's super cheap for what it is. Uh, went there for a family event last night. Five people, they carve the duck table side, and it's like fucking like meticulous surgery, like they got it down. They serve the duck, then they take the carcass in the back and make fried rice out of it, duck fried rice, oh, wow. duck soup, and oh. duck noodles. Amazing. And it was spectacular. And for five of us, we got out of there for way less than 150 bucks. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. You know where I'd love we to go? We should cut that out because if, you know... If- Enough people go for that; they're probably going to take it off. Yeah, right. Off yeah. the off menu yeah, and raise their prices. Cut that one out of there. Like we can't afford this. Shit. Epic like, Dolly was amazing. Yeah, that, that was fun with uh, Sincere Engineer and Smoking Popes and Bull Weevils and Tom Higginson from the Playboy. Hey, you know guy. what? I will say, going back to your sort of working it 
as an advertisement for the the restaurant that they can get business. Mm. After that episode, me and Eric went to Epic Deli for the first time to eat. We've and now my been. whole family is begging me to go there because I brought the menu home. That's yeah, it's it's insane what they have on that menu. It's really good. So you can't take food out of the podcast. James. And we, we ate like fools that <laughs> night. I'm sure I Tom told it. you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I saw it on YouTube. I watched it. It was amazing. They just kept bringing food. Yeah, I know. How'd you guys walk out of there? <laughs> it, was, it, it was like we were foie gras. They kept like shoving food <laughs> down our throat. Yeah. yeah, that place is incredible. I mean, I, they have to live up to the name Epic indeed. Deli, right? Indeed. Absolutely. Well, James, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. We I love were, this. This is great. I, I, I love the idea of recording something in a parked vehicle. I think I think there's a future in this. Did yeah. you did you feel at home? I did. I, I felt way more at home. I'm sitting on a couch. Yeah. It's do, hard to, do you feel like we're ripping off your idea? No. Okay. You're not eating. No, That's we true. but we want to. We do want to. And we, we, we could form a network of vehicle-based podcasts. I like it. Adjacent to the Chicago music scene. Yeah. I like it. I definitely agree with that. I think that would be a smart move. I sent him a listing. We uh, could get car sponsorships. James, I like where you're going with this. It took us an hour, but here's the money idea. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking vintage snowmobiles for the wintertime. From like the 60s, the 70s. Are you going to sit on it and do a podcast? Yeah, I yeah. think you're thinking impractically. I'm, I'm <laughs> well, isn't you know, everything we do is impractical. That's why Sometimes you just got to allow Mike to go off into La La Land. They, you know, get, <laughs> get someone with, with heated bubbles. Kind of. I, I just want a car, dude. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're out there and you work for Chevy dealership, I'm say, I think the next one should be a Chevy, not a Mazda. I think somebody should give you for free if you're listening for out free. there. Mm-hmm. Give James uh, one of those electric vehicles with outlets in it. Yeah. So oh, then yeah. he can have power. Oh yeah. For running yeah, the podcast the, wherever yeah, he goes. And if there are any other Chicago music scene adjacent podcasts being recorded in a vehicle, let us know because I, I think three is a network. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Two two's an idea. Three's a network. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should look in you know Milwaukee, Indianapolis, like a Midwest kind of because yeah. Three in Chicago. Years ago, I know we're wrapping up. Years ago, I thought, well, if I ever try to grow the podcast, how do I grow it? And I thought, well, then I, I would kind of franchise it. So I do, you know, find people who could do this in Milwaukee or Philadelphia or San Diego. Yeah. I but, mean, I think that's pretty genius. Why couldn't you? That's not I, I don't know people who I would trust to do it. Exactly. <laughs> in, in other cities. In right. Chicago, sure. Not in other cities. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a great idea. And I think that could be the future of podcasting here. See? Yeah. Vehicles. We knew this conversation was going somewhere. <laughs> you got to wait till the end. You got to workshop it. Right. But here we are. That's the money idea. All mm-hmm. right. Well, like with, that, with that money idea, thank you, James. Thanks, guys. Thank you.